Welcome to Season 2 of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. This season is dedicated to interviews with mayoral and city council candidates running for the city of Powell River within the Cothed region during the 2022 municipal election. Here's your host, Aaron Reed. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. Joining me on this episode is Jen Zacker. Jen is running for the position of councillor for the city of Powell River in the October 15th, 2022 municipal election. Here is Jen's submission. Creating a healthy community means putting people first. It's finding solutions to help people meet their needs, but also to thrive. I've worked as a provincial government analyst for 20 years in poverty reduction as well as treaty negotiations with First Nations. I conduct research, consult with people, listen carefully, and build productive partnerships, all of which will serve me well as a city councillor. A job in the forestry industry brought me to Powell River in 2016, and I plan to stay. As a homeowner, landlord, and someone who works with people experiencing poverty, I understand many perspectives of the housing crisis. I've volunteered in disaster relief, food security and housing, and I am the former vice president of the Comox Valley Beekeepers. In my free time, I'm often walking my dog. Please join me in welcoming Jen Zacker. I'd like to <laughs> welcome Jen Zacker to the podcast today. Thank you for joining me, Jen. Thank you for having me. I was wondering if we could start out with you telling me a little bit about yourself, where, where you were born, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Sure thing. Uh, so I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. I went to a private Catholic all-girl high school. I was a hockey cheerleader, and people often say, uh, oh, there's such a thing as hockey cheerleaders, and um, you were a hockey cheerleader? Like, that seems kind of weird. And then I left, and I went to university in the Ozarks, and then after university, I did a community service program called AmeriCorps, which is similar to the Peace Corps, but in the States. And I was working at a YMCA camp in upstate New York and met a guy who was on a work visa uh, from Victoria. And he was a sailing instructor and we sailed a lot. And then uh, we ended up uh, getting married the next year in Maine where we worked as environmental educators. And then we moved back to Victoria and that was like 2004. Sailing. So how many places did you go doing that? Oh, we sailed a lot in upstate New York, and then we sailed off the coast of Maine, and then sailed around BC when we got back, so Victoria, and, and I sailed with the Paul River Yacht Club here. Oh, so okay. It's called a yacht club, but it's really not that fancy. <laughs> it's a very approachable group of people <laughs> who happen to sail, so okay. yeah. So what other work or jobs have you held over the years? Uh, my very first job was uh, at a pizza shop, and uh, yeah, I cut pizzas and I took money and I made salads and sandwiches and oh I worked at a children's museum for a little while in high school that was fun uh there was a big three-story slide and after the museum closes all the teenagers that worked there we would put wax paper on the slide and slide down it was incredible wax paper I've yeah never done that, really? oh man yeah it really it gets you going really fast ah. yeah 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 and that all came up because <laughs> my parents wouldn't let me go on spring break and a lot of my friends went to um, Cancun, and I was like, this is the biggest regret of my life. I didn't get to go on spring break, but I think it was probably for the best. <laughs> they probably saved my soul in some way. I don't know. So then, uh, so my friends and I, who were not allowed to go to Cancun as 17-year-olds, which is probably a really good idea, yeah. we went to the Magic House, St. Louis Children's Museum. And then out of that, I just started talking to someone, and I, and I got a job. 
So just talking to people gets you a lot of things. That's actually how I ended up getting my house, too. Really? Like my partner and I at the time tried to buy a house and we kept getting out bid, right? That was mm. happening even in those days. And people would show up with cash and uh. no conditions. And so anyhow, I was talking to my landlord about it. And then long story short, she was like, would you like to buy our house? And so, yeah, so talking to people and just putting it out there. My gregariousness has been really <laughs> beneficial. <laughs> Jobs and houses. So, yeah, I've worked for the provincial government for like 20 years. So, yeah, that's my longest job. But for several different ministries. So I work for Ministry of Social Development and Property Reduction right now. And I work for Ministry of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, Ministry of Forests. So, yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And which neighborhood do you live in? Westview. Westview. Yeah. And what made you decide to call Westview home? Uh, that's because I missed the ferry. Uh, because I read the ferry schedule wrong. Because at the time I was living in the Comox Valley. And so I guess I must have read it thinking I was... Yeah, over there. Anyhow, I missed the ferry, and then I was looking on, like, Craigslist, and then I found this place that was advertised, and then I was like, oh, God, I got to catch the ferry. And then so my husband was like, oh, I'll go look at it. And then he rented the place without me No, it turns out i had seen that house before and been like that house is beautiful and like and so that's the house and then we ended up buying the house through my conversation with the landlord so that's oh. the house i live in now so, wow yeah i know kind of serendipitous <laughs> right a, a little bit yeah. yeah so what are your favorite places to spend time in the city oh that's in like the in the city, city in power river power yeah. river or cosset even i really like drinking coffee in front of 32 lakes and I really like sitting on my friend's porch in town site and drinking coffee and looking at the ocean. I really love epic hikes from my house in Westview down Willington Beach Trail, like Moet, Moet Bay. And like, yeah, there's like a really long kind of hike. I go with my dog all the time. And yeah, just like walking around town is like what I do a lot. Um, and picking up Millennium Trails, like just walking. I Just all of it, I guess, is really the answer. So really enjoying the outdoors, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And drinking coffee. <laughs> I, was, I saw a trend with the coffee. <laughs> so what made you decide to put your name forward for city council? Honestly, uh, there were six candidates that I wasn't really excited about. The lovely people. I mm -hmm. just wasn't really excited or felt like my values were represented. So, And then I started thinking about it. And I talk about politics all the time. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm, they're not more qualified than I am. Why don't I just try it and see how it goes? And I started thinking about issues, and I kind of got on this idea of, like, a healthy community. And so, and someone was like, well, Paul River's a healthy community. I'm like, well, of course it is. But every, every time council makes a decision, we have an opportunity to make a healthy one that contributes, you know, to more housing and more supports for people who need them like substance use or mental health or you know taxes have gone up so much and mm -hmm. mortgage rates too like interest rates and like you know the cost of everything and like just since the just since the elections began gas has gone up 20 cents twice yeah. so so i think about that a lot yeah if i'm just able to help out and make decisions that make life feel a bit healthier and saner and yeah, I would be really excited. And, like, you know, I've worked in public service and done community service, like, right after school and was raised Catholic and did a lot of community service in school. Like, those values are instilled in me. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, selling a widget. I just got really excited about well, maybe I can help and use the skills that I use in my day job 
as a counselor because there are a lot of the same skills, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I said it the other night, all candidates for them, but I actually, it's true. Like I read really boring reports <laughs> and I talk to people and I ask them what they think and have to weigh the credibility of information and yeah, sometimes come up with really hard decisions to complex problems in committee with people who don't agree. Right. And so if I could do that for this this town, I would just I would be so proud. It would be such a cool thing to do. So what issues are top of mind for you as we go into this election? Housing and affordability are top of mind. And they kind of tie into a bunch of things. Um, like housing, there's not enough of it. Can't build it fast enough. You know, housing for low-income people is a challenge. We've got lift. And the supports are coming. Like, I know people talk about that a lot, but um, it's true. Like, Minister Simons and the Minister of uh, Mental Health and Addictions were here in the spring and announced that we're getting $2 million this year, $2 million the following year, and $2 million the year after that. And so I'm hoping that will, that will address a lot of the issues that people are seeing with safety concerns. And people living in that building, you know, I've interviewed people for income assistance and disability assistance for years and I've talked with people who are precariously housed and it's really hard and people sometimes I think have a lot of ideas but until you actually sit down and talk to people like they're just people they're not those people they're not other people like they're people in our community and so housing is an issue and so there's housing uh for persons you know who have low income but then you know also like middle class housing like I have friends right now who They've been here for years, and they have reasonably priced rent, and now their landlord is selling, Mm -hmm. and they might have to leave town. And, you know, I have goosebumps thinking about it, and that's really unfortunate. So, like, and not living in that fear of, are they going to sell, and I'm going to have to go somewhere and lose all my friends? Because that's hard to start over. I mean, I'm in my early 40s, and, you know, my, you know, I said, like, my former husband like so I recently went through a divorce and I was renting for a while too and it was really scary and like what do you do so you know it's families and it's low income but it's also individuals and it's middle class people and and it's the seniors and it's I mean we all yeah we're all like it's a nerve-wracking world like everything's more expensive and we're precariously housed and our neighbors are struggling and we see it on the streets and um, that sounds all really dire. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, I also think there are opportunities in that, right? There's opportunities in making decisions that can make it a little less uh, stressful um, and make life a little bit better for us. So, yeah, and, you know, people talk about taxes and, yeah, they should be affordable and reasonable. And I know last year they went up 4% and then... Uh, city staff came and told council that they were going to go up 7% to maintain our services and the capital projects we have. And they were like, well, could you try to go back and make those lower? And we landed at 4%. You know, 4% is higher than our usual inflation of 2% a year. So it feels a little uncomfortable. So if we can get really creative, um, try to find some ways to make it more. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It just makes it lighter when you're talking about tough issues. Just however we can be creative about that. Yeah, I would like to contribute to a solution. Are there certain strengths that you possess that you feel would be helpful to have in council chambers? I'm funny. (laughs) Um, A couple people, you know, strangers were telling me, giving me feedback about how the other night went at the All Candidates Forum. And one of the most common things is like, wow, you're really funny. 
And I think it's just a way to diffuse tension. And uh, it's served me really well over the years. But um, also, like, yeah, conflict resolution. Like, I, I think that it does help. Like, I, my parents are really conservative. And I'm from the Midwest. And so I'm not. Like, I'm actually pretty... <laughs> centrist liberal and fit in better in BC than I did in Missouri and so um, but I think that perspective has helped me understand people better and so if you disagree with me I'm gonna ask you why and I'm really curious and I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and I won't cancel you and I won't call you a name and I won't right like so you know I'll say it my parents voted for Trump and they voted for him not once but twice but you know what when I asked them they had a policy reason, hmm. and it was more concerning to them than his other characteristics. It was a little hard to swallow, but, you know, you can kind of learn things. And I'll just, you know, not to get into really divisive politics, but there's yeah. this interesting piece where the Republicans in the state of Missouri uh, rejected the federal, federal funding for Obamacare, and so that made Obamacare not work very well in the state of Missouri. So Ooh. people were upset about how it was working, but rightly so, because it wasn't funded the way it was intended. So it was one of those pickles of, like, people getting caught in the middle of uh, politics and, you know, two sides uh, with some very different ideas of how the program should work and maybe not really accepting the funds to make it work the way it should. So, right. I mean, all that to say... Um, I think I'm good at taking the other's perspective, remaining calm and like trying to find some common ground and usually using humor to do it and bring it back. Because I do think, you know, like a lot of the people that are running, you know, I don't always see eye to eye with and we're all just a product of our experiences and like you think very different from me. From me. Well, why? <laughs> what happened to you? Yeah. Uh, working in income and disability assistance, we do talk about trauma-informed practice all the time and it's that I it's it's this idea exactly it's not uh what's wrong with you like or it's what happened to you like who said something to you or who what did you read or wow why do you think that and like really getting curious about that right I think is like the basis of well like yeah good policy and being human and <laughs> human connection so yeah I think that would serve me well as a counselor because it's really about Working with people with diverse ideas and trying to be creative about how we solve problems that we have in common. Right. When you do get that diverse amount of people around the table with all those varied opinions, then often what happens is there's conflict that mm -hmm. arises. So how do you deal with conflict? Ooh, that's a given. <laughs> I did take this course through the Justice Institute, and it was it was like a course whose name ended up being CCR and I can't remember what the acronym was for but I do remember at the end of it I was like I thought we were going to learn about Cretan's Clearwater Revival I don't understand why we haven't listened to any CCR at all it was so funny. but seriously I think that <laughs> conflict the remaining calm and everybody taking a deep breath and realizing we can't make people realize anything but probably you know starting with humor like I feel like my dad is super funny and so I feel like I've learned it from him but like just get everybody back to like feeling human and seeing the humanity in each other and then getting really curious and just asking questions and leaning into the truth like you know this feels really conflictual right now maybe let's take a break or um you know what you said is hurtful to me can we talk a bit about 
that. So, like, I sometimes think if you just remain calm and, and call, call the truth out, right. you can usually get to the bottom of it. Or fear. I think a lot of conflict is based on fear. And, like, why... What would be fearful about a statement or about a particular solution to a problem? Name changes coming to mind. What's so fearful about it? Right. Some people just turned off right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you know. Oh, in all honesty, yeah, I think a lot of conflict is based on fear. Yeah, our youth aren't able to vote. Correct. Uh, however, they are an important part of our community, and we have little for them to do outside of sports, arts, and outdoor activities. Many teens and young adults aren't into those things. Hmm. So do you have any ideas of ways we can address the lack of spaces for teens and young adults to hang out and be better supported? Ooh, the youth. Why don't we ask them? Mm. And that question actually came from them. Ooh, I would say ask them. What do they want? Who are these youth that told you this? And how can I get all of them? Because <laughs> <laughs> we should probably ask them what they want. Yeah. So because you're newer to the community, what I can tell you is having grown up here when I was younger, a teen, the Old Town Site Mall actually had an arcade and pool hall at the bottom. So we used to hang out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mall used to be open until 9 o'clock on Friday nights. Woohoo. Wow. So in the winter, you had places to actually just be. That's right? a great idea. And there was kind of a drop-in teen center right beside where Capone's Liquor Store is now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a cannabis shop now, but way back in the day, it was like couches and you could just hang out and watch TV or huh. or whatever. But now, I've got teens in the house myself. Yeah. And there's literally, it's Friday night, there's nothing nowhere to, to go. do. Wow. What would they like to do? Do they tell you what they like? I haven't dug that deep yet, but I do think about those experiences that I had when I was younger, obviously, and and I know kids are a lot more into screens now, but they still like to watch movies and they still like to game together. So it's just having those safe indoor places to be, you know, to congregate and... For sure. Yeah. I really like foosball, personally. Ah, yeah. A place with foosball, and where you don't have to go buy a beer to play foosball, because who wants wants to do that? Exactly. Yeah, that sounds really fun. There was a great article. I'm incredibly nerdy. Warning. Uh, there was an incredible article that came out by Neil Postman. It was like in the late 90s or early 2000s. And it was like why we don't go bowling anymore or something. And Cassette Living had an article a couple months ago about how like civic organizations aren't as popular as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And there's so much community that that comes from that or like being in a bowling league or whatnot right and then we're kind of maybe in our more screen oriented society losing that and so what I hear from this question is like how could we you know to use Neil's words like how could we bowl together again like how could we just make those places where it's like we get together as people and hang out and like I knit with people or I play ukulele or board games are a big one but yeah I hear you like where do you go there's not much of a place yeah. after nine o'clock on a Friday night. Like, where would they? Where exactly. Would they be? And it's tough. I mean, coming out of the pandemic where they've been kept apart for so long, and that now they too. want to yeah. get back together, and it's yeah. basically go to a beach party. Is yeah, yeah. You know, beach fire is a good one. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm asking everybody. So Do it. Happy Dogs or cats? <laughs> Dogs or cats? Which <laughs> is it? Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> Sorry. 
Coke or Pepsi? Oh, that's the question? <laughs> oh, oh. It's actually not. I'm just. <laughs> oh, okay. Dr. Pepper? I don't really drink that much. I like um, Dr. Pepper. I know. It's hard to find. <laughs> Have you read the 94 Calls to Action put out by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada? Yes. And how do you think our city is doing with regards to truth and reconciliation? Ooh, that's a good one. I have read them, and I don't remember all of them by heart. But I also have a favorite one, so can we put that as a postscript of this question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how are we doing as a city, uh, a region, or Quebec? I think we're doing amazingly well, personally. I mean, I'm not sitting at the table, so maybe if I get invited to that table by being elected, I'm might learn something but from you know a person just who resides here I'm very proud of the fact that we have the community accord that it was signed in 2003 which is it feels like light years ahead of other communities and then we renewed it again in 2018 and for people who don't know the community accord is a way for Tuolumne Nation and the city to work together um, and bring issues of mutual interest and find common ground and ways and to work through those issues and I think it says something like based on mutual recognition and mutual respect. And wow, what a beautiful way to approach any relationship, whether it's individual, individual, or business to business, or nation to nation. Or um, So I'm very proud of that. And also, Tulum Nation is one of the few nations in BC that has a modern-day treaty. And as someone who worked on treaty, it's such an incredible process. It started in 93. People have talked about how they thought it'd be over in just a few years. And here's 2023, and we have, I think, about six or seven of them. Wow. Um, so it takes a lot of time to negotiate them, but wow, what a rich, long history of relationship we have between the province and the city and Tulaman and the federal government. Like, it's such an accomplishment to get to treaty. And I know not all members of a nation or, you know, all nations think treaty is for them, and that's totally understandable, but... That's something that has been accomplished, and I think it's a huge accomplishment. And I feel, yeah, like it's just kind of such a unique, amazing experience to live somewhere where that's where that's happened. And so, you know, it only came into effect, I think it was 2016, and now they have a lot of lawmaking authorities and um, opportunities with that, and we're just starting to see that come online, right? Yeah. And there's so much opportunity, you know, just in them developing some of their lands and bringing infrastructure to them. Uh, so, many, so many opportunities to partner together. And I think it's only mutually beneficial um, because, you know, when all of our community members like benefit or have economic opportunity, it benefits the whole area. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I am very excited about it. Would love to contribute to it. I think it's certainly an expression of reconciliation, which, you know, there was a question posed to all the candidates and like, yeah, what is reconciliation? And I think, I think the UN drip and calls to, or the Truth and Reconciliation 94 calls to action that sets forward a framework of what reconciliation could look like. And in, like the way I distilled it when I replied to those questions was, you know, it's a recognition for the harm that happened, stopping it, but also stopping the harm that continues today with systemic racism, and then making amends for it. Yeah. And so I do think that the name change conversation is, you know, the ultimate expression of reconciliation, because it's exactly that. It's like, you know, there was harm that happened. Can we talk about that, like, as a community? And then 
can we stop it? Right. And, you know, making amends would be finding a name. And I think a lot of people think that it's going to be T-Squat or something that's difficult to pronounce. or, But that's that's not a foregone conclusion. And I kind of... This will probably lose me votes, but maybe it'll win me some too. But I think <laughs> the truth just needs to be said, so so be it. Yeah. The idea that, like, uh, yeah, like, you know, we're going through a transition. It's a big time of change. The mill's closed, yeah. right? That that period's behind us. So what an interesting point in time to talk about a potential name change and finding a name that all of us can be proud to say, right? right? You know, this idea that, like, oh, this causes harm, well, why do we want to live in a community that hears that and then we choose to continue the harm? That's, we have a lot of opportunity there, and I think a lot more conversations uh, to have about it. Okay. But I think we're doing a pretty good job just by, yeah, starting that conversation. And you said you had you had a favorite ninety of the ninety four. Yeah. So this is incredibly nerdy, but I want to share it. So yeah. uh, okay. So. So call to action number 17 is for governments to waive administrative fees for indigenous people to use their given name from their indigenous language on government documents. So the interesting part is if you were to use an indigenous name on government documents, not all of the characters are readily available on our QWERTY keyboards as they exist today, right? Yeah. So there's this uber cool thing called BC Sans font, and I'm kind of a nerd about it. But when I heard when I heard about it, I was like, "This is so amazing!" So what happened is the BC provincial government took an open source font and worked with a linguist and a graphic designer, and they developed a font that's both able to accommodate all the characters of all the BC Indigenous languages. So you could type your name and your traditional language, your indigenous language, but then also worked with someone to make the font more accessible. So for visually impaired people. And so it serves like these beautiful values that we have as a society to be more inclusive, right? And fulfills one of the truth and reconciliation calls to action or supports, you know, it's not directly like you should do this, but to use your name, you need the Right. the letters and characters to do it so yeah. anyhow so there's this bc sounds font and it's just in the process of being rolled out you can log on and like just download it for free and start using it um but i just think it's like it's so amazing that somebody was like oh hey look at this call to action why don't we get a linguist and a graphic designer and wow. do this and then they did it yeah. and it was and it's yeah it's so it's i just think it's incredible and it gives me huge hope and it's one of those things like where government can make a big difference in people's lives make them feel like they belong and accepted it's, yeah. yeah okay to use their names even with government when you know it wasn't allowed it yeah. was in fact taken away like it's just so thrilling yeah Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, didn't know they, I tell. Oh, that's cool. I tell everybody about the BC Sounds font. <laughs> when I heard about it, I was like, "Why doesn't everybody know?" So, anyhow. so you kind of touched on this one already, but one main concern of electors is rising taxes. Yes. Do you have any ideas on how taxation can be held without cutting current services? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a hard question because mm-hmm. I know everybody. No, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to do that. I think housing is a big key. Like real estate in BC creates a lot of taxes. Mm. And so building more housing, and then also that allows us to have workers come and work here. 
who guess what paid taxes mm-hmm. and so you know like get that living i am an avid reader of that living because that living a few months ago i had an article about people i think it was a an rmt a registered massage therapist like was offered a job but then couldn't come i might be getting those facts wrong so if somebody's upset sorry but they're yeah like people who cannot come to paul river to work live and pay taxes um aren't able to do it because we don't we don't have adequate housing so i think housing is a big part of that you know there's talk about uh looking at the rate structure at the marina and like moorage rates to have your boat there and so i know that there was a proposal put forward in which the rates were to be increased quite significantly and so i don't agree with how that was (laughs) proposed the (laughs) rates went up way too high and way too fast and uh there was no time to prepare and i know that council like sent it back and staff are looking at it so I am very much in favor of trying to find more reasonable rates, particularly for locals, but paying extra if you don't pay in the tax base is not a bad idea, you know? People yeah. come up from Seattle and Vancouver and they are heading to Desolation Sound or they just keep their boat here and they don't live here, like, I think they should pay more, right? Yeah. So I think that's completely reasonable. So maybe if we get creative, we might be able to find uh, taxes somewhere without making the average person, like, really have to, you know, get a second job or lose sleep at night yeah and then in terms of cutting services like nobody wants to cut services but at the same time you don't want to do aquafit while your neighbor is like losing sleep over whether whether they're going to lose their house or not you know and that's a really crass way of saying it i get it and i'm not saying that we're going to lose that sorry aquafit (laughs) people i don't i'm not saying that it's a for instance as but like yeah you know we we might have to but i don't know i don't I'm very analytical. I would not commit to doing anything until the research is there, right? Right. I would want to know, and, like, what are our options? And, like, what will cause the least amount of harm, really? Like, what's going to be the healthiest solution in which the most of us benefit and don't lose sleep at night? The proposed spending for the new emergency services building is another contentious topic right now. Where do you stand on this issue? I understand that... Uh, in order for us to get grant money to be able to fund the building in its entirety, we need confirmation that the community is in support of it. So for that reason, it makes sense. Also, I think it's a persuasive argument that in the 90s, I think it was 96, we tried to do this. And at the time, it would have been much cheaper. And now here we are, and it's it's still an issue. And, you know, I don't think anybody disagrees that that building is too old and inadequate. Um, we also live in a pretty remote area so we're you know if something happens we are on our own I appreciate that yeah and I don't think we're going to go out tomorrow and take out a loan for seven and a half million my understanding is that this is uh, the first step in actually funding the project and if we agree that like we need to go out and get funding it will help us get more funding to make it more affordable so and you did already talk about affordable housing was there anything more you wanted to mention on that or we need more of it I love the idea of, well, anything that will get us more of it and more affordable. And when people say, oh, look, it's affordable housing, it's $1,000 a month, <laughs> that's still more <laughs> than what a lot of people, you know, the average income in, in this area is, I think, under 50000 So that's, that's actually not that affordable for some people. Um, but yeah, uh, tiny houses, I think, have a role to play. I think carriage homes have a role to play. I think... Um, anything we can do to make building more housing more streamlined, uh, you know, reviewing the permitting process and, uh, you know, 
in provincial government, we talk about administrative fairness, which is something that all governments should be interested <laughs> in, which is when a decision is made by government, people uh, need to be told reasons. So, like, you need to know, like, oh, this permitting application didn't, uh, didn't pass the mustard. What's the next step to getting it approved, right? So maybe we could look at that. Granted, I know that city council does not have direct <laughs> authority over <laughs> what city does. So no offense to the city folks. Um, folks who work for the city but um i think there are abilities to just like stop look at what we're doing and see how like how could we get some projects done more quickly there's no harm in just a review of what that looks like and if there's some way to do it quickly i know there's uh like in the official community plan if we can get some things um set up like if a if something could be permitted through and it meets the requirements that are set out in our official community plan, which is up for review, like in the next term of the, of the next council. Um, if we look at that, maybe there's some opportunities there, right? Like why do you have to come back and get like additional approvals or right. just anything to lean that process so that people can move forward and build things in a relatively quick way to get more housing on the market and more people and comfortable, comfortable, comfortable homes. And then crime. You did mention crime earlier, and a lot of people are concerned about the crime that's happening around town mm -hmm. and not feeling overly safe anymore. Do you think council has a role to play in the crime issue? I think I do. I, I, I see council as having a role to know what government, what governments can do. And that's a, there's a lot of liaising between the provincial government and municipal government. I mean, municipal government's power comes from the Provincial Local Government Act. And so I actually think in talking to a lot of people, sometimes it's confused, like, how much council can and can't do. And right. a lot of times, you know, council, it's all about relationships and talking to and having positive relationships with people, but maybe not always having, you know, authority to do things. Actually, if we talk about the mill closure, I'll talk about that again, too. <laughs> so, yeah, spoiler alert there. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, we can talk about the but mill closure if you want to. We well, whatever yeah. you would like to talk about. Yeah. Nope. Um, I wasn't done there. Though. Oh. Uh, so we were talking about crime. Yeah. So some big things that I think, first of all, there's the Paul River Community Action Team. So that already exists. That's an interagency team. The RCMP is at the table. Lyft is at the table. Other community partners that support people, particularly people who are, you know, dealing with substance use and mental health issues and I believe in health-centered solutions to those problems so you know crime like if you <laughs> if you steal a barbecue you don't go to jail for 30 years and that would be impractical I think a more appropriate solution is what happened to you right back to that question what happened to you what do you need like what what do you need and so I think with the supportive housing funding that we have coming that will be part of it, but also engaging these interagency teams that are already on the ground and working and maybe just need a few more resources, but also connecting them to some of these community groups that have concerns. Because mm. my understanding is they're not at the table. And often when you get all the people who are affected at a table, you can find a solution. So I think that's one piece. And then I want to say too, the this is not a Paul River problem. It's across the province. And so I was at the Union of BC Municipalities um, conference recently, and it was... So it's, you know, mayors and city councilors from across BC get together and talk about ideas and talk about solutions. And it's really thrilling if you're a policy wonk and yeah. <laughs> because you get to hear what other folks are doing and maybe bring them home and see if they work in your community. And one of the things I know happened 
that came out of that, there's talk between our council and uh, the provincial government about a pilot project. So I think exploring that a bit more in depth. And then there's also a provincial report that came out with 28 recommendations. Um, and it was just a few days ago and I've been campaigning, so I haven't read them all. But I think one thing that, you know, the council, whomever they are, needs to do is delve into those 28 recommendations and see what might help us. And it's, it was done not just like government asking people, but there's academic research. And so, yeah. And I think, you know, if you're a penny pincher and you're like, oh, the crime and it's so expensive and we just give everybody everything. Well, you know, health-centric approaches actually are cost-effective when you look at the research more so than looking at just crime and punishment sorts of approaches. So I'm into whatever meets people where they're at and helps them meet their needs, whatever those needs might be, whether it's mental health and substance use supports and getting people talking and solution-oriented rather than othering and those people. And yeah, just what can we do to help? What can, what can we do that's what's not working right now and what can we do to change that and finding a solution and finding hope and optimism and like, we can do this, like we can find something. And the people who need help and so we need to find out what that looks like right yeah okay so the last question i have yeah is a doozy coke or pepsi (laughs) (laughs) actually sort of is it really sort of what's my favorite movie name change name change the name change yeah that's is is that it that's it what's what's your feeling on the name change situation i feel proud that we're having the conversation it's a tough conversation to have like i explained earlier i think it's yeah it's the ultimate expression of reconciliation in which one party says can you recognize the harm that's being done stop it and try to make amends and the amends would be finding a name that we're all proud to say i think that you know the potential name change process came out of the community accord which is when you know, we have something to deal with. We go through this process. So a joint working group was established. So there were people from Tulaman and people from Fall River. And they started out on that six-month process, which was educationally focused. Um, you know, the education piece, I don't know. It's kind of like we kind of got up. Like, everybody involved did an amazing job. And then we kind of got into this this thing about debating the merits of Israel Powell. And I just think, like, if you pull it back, like, it's not really about Israel, Paul. It's like what he represents. Yeah. And so, and I've always thought it's more about the relationship, right? Like, Hegus had a great op-ed in the peak, like, I think it was last fall, maybe, and, like, compared the issue to a marriage and one in which, like, sometimes you do something that might not, you, you know, you might not be totally into it, but the relationship is more important to that thing. Right. right? Like sometimes you'll have a rift in a relationship, marriage or not, and then you just realize, wow, this relationship is more important to that conflict. And so can we try to, can we try to figure something out? So I don't, I don't, uh, I know that it's divisive, but I don't think we should sweep it under the rug. I think we just need to keep talking to each other. And I think that joint working group came up with, a, you know, 11 recommendations and we should start working through them. You know, it's like a path toward what could be a reasonable solution. And so let's just start there. I mean, a lot of that joint working group read a lot of letters Uh, and they attended a lot of events and they saw what happened. And, it, you know, everybody was at like both sides were at that table. 
And I know the talk about um, alternative names for the city. It, you know, there's talk about, well, let's pick a name because it would be easier. Like, part of me thinks, like, oh, if we focused on the possibility, right? Focusing on the possibility rather than the, like, it's so divisive. And that's the thing, too. Like, you know, maybe it felt divisive, but every day you have a choice to show up in a different way. And so, like, so maybe it was, but can't we choose to just not be divisive <laughs> like i i don't believe in name calling our neighbors i don't believe in labeling our neighbors i don't you know i think we probably have more in common than not and i don't know it's such a it's like it's phd material like why is this so hard <laughs> like how do we get through it but i don't know i think it's pretty cool that we're having the conversation and i'm proud of the fact we're having the conversation and people of Paul River are good, kind people. Like, people are flocking here because why? Because you walk down the seawalk and everybody looks you in the eye and says, how are you doing? They're yeah. so friendly. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's no reason we have to not be friendly to each other in the midst, midst of the conversation. And, um, yeah, I'm hopeful, honestly, the way we go forward. And, uh, yeah, let's just continue the conversation. Okay. And that's actually our time. All right. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and putting up with ducks in the background yeah, yeah. and helicopters and planes and <laughs> I have I've really enjoyed it. This is uh, I'm so impressed that you wanted to know what I think and had to say for 45 minutes. That's quite <laughs> incredible. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. And that concludes this episode of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, featuring my guest Jen Zacker. If you'd like to find more information about Jen. You can find her on her webpage at jenzacherforcitycouncil.ca. That's J-E-N-Z-A-C-H-E-R-F-O-R-C-I-T-Y-C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot C-A. Alternatively, you can also search for Jen on Facebook. Her page is Jen Zacher for Powell River City Council. And I'd also like to thank Jen for her patience as we had equipment malfunctions, ducks quacking, helicopters, planes, you name it, it happened, and she just rolled with the punches. So I do appreciate that in my unorthodox studio. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thank you for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. For more interviews, visit coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Thanks again for listening.